Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's February 10th, 2020. Welcome to The Quadcast. Let's dive into this past week's most pertinent cancer news. First up, on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again. Willie Nelson. Few things are more hotly debated on Twitter than the utility of routine lung cancer screening. The rub is that lung cancer is common and it's deadly. And most of the other heavy hitters, you know, breast, prostate, colon, cervical cancers, all have widespread screening tools. But there's yet to be a slam dunk lung cancer screening strategy that clearly saves lives. The Dutch phase three Nelson trial enrolled almost 13,000 men aged 50 to 74 with a history of at least 300 pack years of smoking. They continued to smoke or they quit less than 10 years ago. These patients were randomized to non-contrast CT screening with automated volumetric readings of lung nodules at baseline, one year, three years, and 5.5 years as compared to no screening at all. We have the publication in the New England Journal 2020 by DeConing that just like the notorious NLST trial, lung cancer mortality was statistically reduced from 3.3 to 2.5 deaths per 1,000 enrollees, which translates to a much more impressive relative reduction of 26%. Of course, the critics might say that lung cancer-specific mortality is not a relevant endpoint when it's so heavily outweighed by all other causes of mortality, which was 13% in both arms here, not to mention the potential vagueness of the causes of death that are oftentimes reported. Perhaps the most interesting distinction between the Dutch and the U.S. trials is that the rate of positive findings on CT was 2% in Nelson, the positive predictive value of 44%, versus 39% in the NLST with a positive predictive value of less than 4%. The Dutch might rightly point out that such accuracy in interpreting screening scans obviates much of the concern with needless invasive workups. Finally, in case you're wondering, because the initial trialist didn't seem to be, women enrollees were added on as an afterthought with similar results in their gender-specific sub-analysis. So what's the bottom line? Non-contrasted volumetric CT screening for lung cancer decreases lung cancer deaths without a heavy undue burden of working up false positives. Up second, still perplexed. So how do you manage brachial plexopathy or similar radiation-related nerve injuries. Trintol and vitamin E, maybe? A French group has been intensely investigating different options for treating radiation-induced plexopathy. Their current best formulation 
appears to be something called pentoclo, or pentaclo. I'm not really sure. It consists of pentoxyphylene, 400 milligrams BID, as well as tocopherol, which in my free time I like to call vitamin E, at 500 milligrams BID, in addition to clodronate. And if you put all three of these together, you get pentaclo. Clodronate is an alkyl bisphosphonate that has shown efficacy in treating osteoradionecrosis. And while none of these scream neuropathic agents, this randomized trial of 59 patients published in the Red Journal 2020 by Delanian identified patients developing radiation plexopathy with no active cancer and randomized them to pentaclo versus placebo for 18 months. The majority, at 90%, were women treated with radiation for breast cancer. Compared to baseline, there was no significant improvement in the subjective objective management analytic SOMA score in either group at 18 months. On the upside, pentoclo didn't seem to cause any significant increase in toxicity. So there's that. The bottom line is there's still no silver bullet to improve symptoms of radiation-induced plexopathy. Up next, through the years. Have you ever read a long-term analysis of greater than 10-year outcomes after cancer treatment and said something like, okay, this is a bit overkill? Well, not so when it comes to low-grade gliomas, and that's because median survival for these patients approaches a decade, with some subgroups living much longer. We're here to bring you really long-term outcomes of the intergroup trial that kick-started in 1986. The enrollment of patients with low-grade gliomas, it was a mixed bag, admittedly. They received post-op radiation to 50.4 gray versus 64.8 gray, both in 1.8 gray fractions. If you're familiar with how we treat low-grade glioma today, you won't be surprised that the higher dose bought patients little more than greater toxicity, which was consistent with the concurrently run BELIEVERS trial. Also, recall that this far predates RTOG 9802, so nobody received chemotherapy. We now have results that are so long-term that the authors were emboldened to deem them the final report. Of the 203 enrollees, 33 were still alive, partly because a lot can happen in three decades. The good news is that among these long-term survivors, there was no sign of late-onset decline in many middle status over time following radiation. Of the 20 patients with normal cognitive testing at baseline, 19 still remained without decline in scoring. More promising is that overall, those with low baseline scores were more likely to improve than to decline after radiation. The bottom line is, signs point to more improvement than decline in mental status following post-op radiation for low-grade glioma, even when following patients through the decades. Thanks to Breen et al., Neuro-Oncology, 2020. 
Up next, stiff constraints. HypoRTPC was the first reported randomized trial of ultra-hypofractionated radiation for prostate cancer, in which men were randomized to either 2 gray for 39 fractions for a total of 78 gray, or 6.1 gray times 7 for a total of 42.7 gray. This secondary analysis, published in the Red Journal 2020 by Rasmussen et al., retrospectively looks at dosimetric associations with erectile dysfunction. It included only men who had quote-unquote potent erections at enrollment, which was 57% overall, in which the authors went back and contoured the penile bulb. The big takeaway was that there was no difference in the rate of subsequent erectile dysfunction with respect to treatment regimen. So what was the biggest predictor? Well, the completely non-modifiable age at time of treatment was the biggest predictor, but this was followed by the D2% of the penile bulb, with a concluding recommendation for a D2% less than 50 gray and a mean dose less than 20 gray using an EQD2 calculation with an alpha-beta ratio of 3. The bottom line is, limiting dose to the penile bulb can limit risk for radiation-induced erectile dysfunction, particularly at younger ages and regardless of fractionation scheme. Up next, young, dumb, and broke. You can now add a largely unrecognized increase in risk for colorectal cancer to the list of afflictions to the non-elderly. Current recommendations to start screening at the age of 50 come from population data indicating incidence rates are much lower at 45 to 49 years than at 50 to 54 years. But considering the long lead time coupled with the fact that patients aren't getting screened until they're 50, how do we actually know that? Indeed, this SEER analysis published in JAMA Network Open 2020 by Abulkar et al., demonstrates a uniquely sharp relative increase of 46% in colorectal cancer rates from age 49 to age 50, as opposed to all other yearly increments. What's more, a whopping 92% of colorectal tumors caught at age 50 were invasive. The bottom line is, Considering the years-long lead time of colorectal cancer, the uniquely high incidence of invasive cancers detected precisely at age 50 suggests screening at younger ages may be an effective primary prevention strategy. Up next, H. Lori. Both family history and H. pylori infection impact risk of gastric cancer, but can prevention of the latter attenuate risk with the former? It's really the only question to ask until we find a way to prevent unfortunate family histories. Dr. Choi is at it again with another large randomized trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine 2020, demonstrating that eradication of H. pylori with just one week of antibiotics 
more than halves the rate of subsequent gastric cancer formation, this time specifically among those who report gastric cancer in a first-degree relative. Up next, it's only natural to replace T-cells with natural killer cells in the next iterative breakthrough for therapeutic chimeric antigen receptors. This early phase trial indicates that CAR in K cells can provide equally miraculous responses with virtually none of the expected toxicity, thanks to Lou et al., New England Journal of Medicine, 2020. Finally, bonus round. For the superstars out there who make it to an unresectable thymic tumor case on their oral board exam, here we have a phase two trial published in the Red Journal 2020 by Fan et al. demonstrating an impressive response rate of 86% with two gray times 30 fractions for a total of 60 gray using IMRT concurrently with cisplatin and etoposide. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.